What's up, everybody? Michael Johnson here with the Business Choreography Podcast, and I'm excited that you joined me today because we have a very special guest today with us and all the way from Sydney, Australia, is Oscar Chavez. Oscar is a number one best-selling author, international keynote speaker, and mentor to 650 startups and 92,000 entrepreneurs worldwide. Oscar is the chairman of The Boardroom, a company that has combined experience in over 17 billion in mergers and acquisitions and over 1.2 billion in sales. Man, we're lucky to have him here, and I'm excited to share with you all his journeys and expertise and knowledge and wisdom. Guys, let's cue the intro and we'll jump right in. Listen, there's a lot to learn when growing and scaling your business. That's why we created the Business Choreography Podcast, where we talk about choreographing your marketing, operations, and sales into dynamic systems that increase your revenue and your impact. We'll explore solid business principles and discuss all things that make businesses dance to success with clarity. We'll help you figure out where the holes are in your business and what you can do to fix them. Think of us as your official business choreographers, aka your insider growth strategists. Remember, your choreography matters. Welcome to the Business Choreography Podcast. Oscar, thank you for joining us today on the show. Thank you for having me, Michael. Absolutely. We are so excited to have you here and dig in. You know, being an entrepreneur and a business owner, it's uh, it's never a straight line. It's never a straight journey. It's always a winding road. And one of my favorite things to do is to start the show by talking about your journey, talking about how you got to this point where you're doing all these incredible things. So I'd love if you would share that with us and, and dig in. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Um, so I, I guess to, to put it into context, you know, my, 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 my parents raised me to really believe that anything was possible. They were very, so anything I wanted to do, they were just so supportive, so willing to just uh, back me, right? So when, when I was very young, I wanted to be a singer. A singer. And I remember it was when the, the whole Australian Idol thing started. And I was very young. I think I was about 16. And my mom waited in line for, with me from about 10 p.m., till around, you know, the 8 to 9 a.m. where we'd start auditioning and then the whole day would be wrapped up by 12. Now, I didn't understand the power of that till I became an adult and had my own kids. I didn't realize how big of a sacrifice that was. But my parents were just the type of people that were really supportive. So at about 17, I started to, I mean, I, I wasn't a, a very well-educated person. I didn't love school. I didn't do well in school. Uh, I wanted to have more fun and socialize and kind of enjoy <laughs> my life, right? So I wasn't very academic. Um, and at 17, I, about 16, 17, I came across this magician. To cut a long story so short, I said, look, take me under your wing. I want to learn what you're doing. This is, my mind was blown. And, um, and he kind of taught me a few things here and there. And I decided to go and get a job being a magician. Wow. You know, fast forward six months, I'm doing corporate parties for IBM and Shangri-La Hotel and I'm getting paid about $500 per hour to do this at about 17 years old. And it, show, it showed me the power of the non-traditional path because when, while my friends were going to get jobs at McDonald's for minimum wage of like $17, here I am getting paid $500 per hour to do what I love to do and, and what I'm passionate about. So that showed me the value of entrepreneurship, the value that time is uh, time can be what you make it. Time can carry any level of value um, that you could possibly imagine. If you calculate what Elon Musk is worth per hour, 
I, we did the numbers in one of our workshops and I'm probably going to get, I'm going to probably miss a few zeros, but I think with $2.7 million per hour. Um, wow. and, and so that teaches us as entrepreneurs that value is a, is, is a perspective. Right. So if we can change our perspective around time and value and money, we can start to increase our value in the marketplace and make a lot more money. So that's where I started to get passionate about business. I had several failed startups. I was competing with Uber before Uber broke big. Uh, we created an application that connected executives for international flights because at that time in the market, there was a, there was a real gap for being able to uh, book multi-leg transport. So as, an, as I was now an executive flying around the world, meeting with other executives, I just didn't have an ability to plan my trip from home to the airport and then in the new airport to the, to, to the new office. So that was my kind of passion and, and I kept continuing my entrepreneurship journey right through to then ended up ending up in management consulting, in sales and marketing, which is something I've done for the last 17 years. So taking uh, enterprise technology into banks and enterprises, cutting multi-million dollar deals um, at a time. And so all of those experiences kind of led me to build the boardroom. So I, I saw a gap where business owners didn't have uh, you know, a, a holistic perspective, you know, any, any advice that you get from anyone uh, will be slanted towards their view of the world. So I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to create an opportunity where we created this broad ecosystem of perspective right. so that we could really do the hard work of thinking about what the right business strategy is. I can't tell you how many times I've seen companies fail because of the one consultant that had this amazing idea that was going <laughs> to uh, change their lives forever. And next, you know, three years down the road, they're almost bankrupt. Right. So I wanted a way to, um, to stop that type of thing from happening, which is why I created the boardroom. So that that's my story. Oh my gosh. That I, I know you left a ton out of that. Holy cow. Uh, <laughs> you know, from, from being a magician to the boardroom, uh, you know, that is a, a really cool overview we're going to dig into a few things that really stood out to me and, and I want to uh, jump in. You talked about the power of a non-traditional path and, you know, entrepreneurs are, are certainly a unique breed. That's for sure. I want you to talk a little bit about that non-traditional path and, and the challenges of taking that on and, and making that part of who you are and what you do. Yeah, good, good question. I, I believe that entrepreneurship, that each, each human being has an entrepreneurial spirit within them. You know, I meet with so many different people that, that have this, you know, they might be full-time employees, but they have this idea that they want to run their own business. They want to be their own boss. They want to run their own show. Now, that is absolutely the non-traditional path because I believe that in, in society, in life, the way that this system is, is, is constructed is all about go to go to go to school, get a job, get an education, you know, work nine to five until you retire. It, but you know, and that retirement age keeps getting pushed out, pushed out, pushed out. Um, inflation keeps going up and up and up, and and th this whole system isn't really designed for people to thrive financially. So when you're an entrepreneur and when you're a business owner, you have to step outside of that system into a whole new system, which has, you know, various, uh, you know, tax benefits and ways you can really scale your, your growth. And so for me, it's about really understanding that business, and I always say this, that business is probably the hardest thing that anybody can do because it is so complex. It's not taught well. Um, there are a myriad of, of coaches and online platforms and, and people that will happily take your money and deliver no results. It's just such a, it's such an ecosystem full of landmines 
and the risks are big. Like you can lose it all when you're when you're in the business game. You don't have the kind of the the security of a nine to five, even though it's a false perspective of security, because you know anything can shift in the economy. A recession could happen. A company can have two quarters of financial performance and lay off thousands of jobs, as we're seeing all around the world. Um, so it's a very difficult path. And what you're doing through that process is illuminating yourself to reality. And reality is a bitter pill to swallow. I'm not sure if you've ever heard that, <laughs> that quote before. Reality is a, is a bitter pill to swallow. And so when people are you know, in, in that world, um, seeing everything for what it really is, it, it can be really difficult and really lonely. I mean, some, some of my clients pay me just because they're like, you know, it's lonely at the top. But I'm kind of like, that's BS. It's not lonely at the top because there's so much support available for you. There's so many uh, people that are passionate and giving. You're living in a perspective that it's lonely at the top. There's more room at the top than anywhere else because the crowded market is in the middle. It's not at the top. And so it's really helping business owners understand that perspective um, of business, which is quite different to the traditional path. I love that. You know, earlier you mentioned uh, and and you sort of uh, touched upon this idea of time, value, and money. And I want to dig into that just from your perspective on it and and talk about that a little bit. And and, and obviously it was in context of of your story, but I, I just have a feeling that that there's some really great stuff we can pull out of that. <laughs> uh, there's actually something I've been thinking about all morning and, and I don't know how deep to go with this because it's, it's fairly deep. Please dig in. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if we look at the, if we look at the financial system, it, it's, it's really built to be able to exchange value in a, in a, in a standard format. Right. Right. Now, when you're, um, when you're going through that process of even creating a civilization, let me ask you, what, what's the, if you were going to create a civilization, what's the number one thing you've got to do first? Oh, infrastructure is seeming like a pretty important element. Okay, awesome. Yeah, infrastructure is definitely there. But I, I believe that the fundamental number one component of building any civilization or building any business or anything, right, civilization, the way humans interact, is language. Oh, so yes. unless unless we're th this is the thing that people need to understand is that society life uh, civilization is created through language, and when we have the language for things, we can start to be on the same wavelength and come to certain agreements and disagreements. And so that that language enables us to create a financial system where people can exchange value for value right if i think something's worth a hundred dollars and you're offering it to me for eighty dollars I'm, I'm more willing to pay for that if uh if i think something's worth a hundred dollars and you're charging me ten thousand dollars for it i'm i'm not going to buy that and so the thing that business owners need to understand is that it's a value exchange and we need to be experts at crafting value in the marketplace so that we can exchange dollars out of that marketplace. See, the thing that a lot of people get tripped up with when they're on their entrepreneurial journey is this notion of what I spend my time on. So the, the exact financial amount that a business owner generates from their business is in direct proportion to the value they add to that marketplace. And so if I'm spending my day doing things that a you know, $15 virtual assistant can do from the Philippines, and I, I love the Philippines, I love providing jobs in Philippines, I love the people in Philippines, 
if if I'm spending 30% of my day doing things that are transactional, non-transformative, mundane, um, involved in man the minutiae of running the business, then my value in the marketplace is completely cut in, in, in thirds. And so I'm not able to scale my time. So a lot of people think, oh, yeah, when I have the money, I'll hire a team. It's actually not like that. It's I will generate the money when I have the right people with the right roles and the right responsibilities and the right KPI structures and the right governance framework, those five things. When I have that system set up properly, then I will be able to increase my value in the marketplace. And it's, it's, it's a fool's game to play the game of, oh, when I have money, I'll hire the right people because then they will never have the money because they don't have the people. People comes first. And so that's why I'm a big advocate of, of telling, you know, the people that I work with that, you know, if you don't have an executive assistant, you are an executive assistant and you could easily look up many executive assistant roles and see what the value in the marketplace is for those particular types of people. Now, as business owners, we, we have to be able to generate the, the income of at least five, 10 in some companies, 500,000, you know, even some of the companies that I work with, 40,000 staff. As the top guy, we have to be able to generate that amount of value in the marketplace so that we can sustain so many jobs. And so that, that's the way I look at, you know, to answer your question about how time is intrinsic to, to value and, and all that, that sort of equation. I love that. I want to dig into based on, on some of those things that you talked about in there and a little bit from your bio. You said, you know, you've worked with 65 or 650 startups. So you've been in that space and you've worked with startups and there's something super intriguing in there that, that I'd love to dig into, which is part of what you were just talking about. And that is message to market match, being able to find that message to market match for a startup. I know that many a startup has gone out of business and just not made it because they might've had a great product. They might've had great passion. They might've had all the things, but they just couldn't find the message to market match. So what, what's the uh, direction and path that you've taken to be able to help those startup companies be able to find that message to market match? Yeah, it's really, that's really cool. Um, and it leads directly into what I was talking about with language, right? So right. if we know now that language creates society and to build a successful business, you need a society of people buying from you and a society of people working for you, then we understand that language is the most important part for the getting the, the message to market fit right. So the if we watch any great movie, um, one of the things that I've been obsessed about, and I actually think it was Seth Rogen who was talking about this. So Seth Rogen has had a wonderful career from being in the movies to actually producing the movies. And he's you know very successful, generates multi, multi millions of dollars uh, from his business ventures. But one of the things that really caught on to me from that is the, is the art of simplicity. So it is the art of, I call it distilling, is taking all the rubbish that people think about from their business you know, when I ask people, what's your value proposition? They, they kind of don't even know, or there's a lot of things. And it's about the art of distilling that into a simple narrative um, that makes sense to anyone. So I'll give, you, I'll give you a prime example. One of our board members, John Rankins, hi, John, if you're watching, love you lots, um, is, is about to release a book called The Seven Superpowers of Championship Teams how to build profitable teams in business or something something like this. 
And I and I looked at that messaging and I and I asked myself, does that speak to my direct customer? Let me let me let me let me lay a part two onto that before I go into part one. Okay. Part part two of that is human beings learn from from context. So we, we need to understand this about human beings. I think it's it, I think it's very important. Let me let me just Google something and explain this to you, just for comparison. And then as a live exercise, we can um, we can show the viewers what I mean by this, because this might be a difficult concept. Okay. Okay, so if I was to explain to you um, a system that conveys fluids for a wide range of application with valves, fixtures, tanks, and other apparatuses, do you know what I'm talking about? Gosh, it could be anything. A refrigerator, a car. Could be anything. Engine. Um, some it sort could of... be anything. It could be anything, right? So yeah. the answer to that is that it's a plumbing system. And so when business owners speak, they're usually talking about the apparatuses and the valves and the this and the that. And in the human mind, we can't comprehend. We can guess what that individual is talking about, but without the context, we don't fully understand and we can't take all the other information and put it in uh, what I call a frame of reference. And so when we're distilling our value propositions, it is so important to put that in context of the customer, in context that the customer understands it within two seconds because that's the average attention span. Now, I've seen videos that say that it's seven, eight seconds. That's, that's completely false. Um, I've worked with the, the largest video distribution uh, company in the world, and we know that from consumer research that the attention span is two seconds. Wow. So th this is why I talk about simplicity, because unless I can convey to you in context so that your human mind understands all the other garbage and all the other fluff, then you're not going to understand my value proposition. You're not going to believe in it, and you're not going to be trustworthy enough for that proposition to actually buy it. That was, that was part two in terms of context. Back to part one with John's book, you know, the, the, seven, um, the seven super powers of building championship teams, I ask myself, and this is what your viewers should ask themselves as well, does this speak to my ideal customer? Does it put it into context? And a good, a good test for that is, do I understand exactly, like, let's take the word teams, do I understand exactly what team that person's trying to build? Are they building a sales team? Are they building a marketing team? Are they building a project delivery team? Are they building an accounting and finance team? Are they building an operational efficiency team? Are they building an automation and innovation team? So the, the, it's too broad for, for the market to really adopt that and go, yeah, awesome. So I, I position that we should change that book to the seven superpowers of leadership so that now it's in the context of leadership because leadership is its own industry and people buy leadership stuff. And so now if someone's a leader, they can go in and go, oh yeah, that book's for me. Let me read the subtitle. So you get, you get, the, you get the head title and you go, is that for me or not? And then you'll read the, the subtitle. And then we took that even further, that thinking, how can we make that even more irresistible to our ideal client? And we changed it to the seven superpowers of sales leadership. Because right. the target market is sales leaders. So now the sales leader can see themselves in that book and all the other stuff about valves and fixtures and, you know, water this and the, the technical stuff 
is going to now fit into the context of sales leadership. So when people are getting their message market fit correctly, it's about really understanding your target demographic. It's about using rich levels of simple context, as little words as possible to convey the message. Now, I do this live in workshops. People come to me and they're like, hey, here's my value. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not good. Give me, give me 10 seconds to think about it and I'll kind of create something new for it. But it's, it's and I love that in the background, you've got the, the alchemy uh, book there. And it's turning, you know, it's turning kind of nothing into something. That's the art of marketing and getting that message out there. It's that alchemy process of taking the stuff and turning that into simple context for the customer to say, yep, that's for me. I love that. Man, that is, that's great. Guys, I hope you're already uh, whipping out the notes. I know I am and taking lots of great notes. There's so much here for you guys to really take into account. We're going to keep digging in here for just a second. I love talking about this subject and, and you've sort of dived in and, uh, you talked about rich levels of simple context. Can we, can we do some examples or, or talk about it a, a little bit more specifically so that we can dig into that piece? Yeah. So I'll give you, I'll give you a simple example. One, one of my clients was um, a, a data transformation company. So they would take uh, the enterprise level data and they would do things like, and I'm going to tell you exactly how they would explain it, right? They would do things like data literacy training. They would build uh, software applications that enabled companies to do data literacy. Uh, they implemented master data management solutions and reference data management solutions and metadata management solutions for their clients. Okay, so when you when you listen to that value proposition, all you hear is a bunch of stuff, right? Right. So I distilled all that, and I, I uh, you know, I started to ask a few questions, and I said, okay. I, I'm not a data expert, so I, I do not care for that value proposition at all. What is it that you really do? And so through a series of lots of conversations <laughs> and, you know, these, these conversations could go 30 to, to, to 60 minutes of this particular business owner trying to explain to me what they did when I really didn't care. All I wanted to do was understand what they actually did. So after understanding all these concepts and how they fit into an organization and why somebody would go through a data transformation program, I then, I then distilled that information and I said, okay, great. I think what we do is that we turn data into profit. And the business owner was like, yeah, that's, that's what we do. We, we, we turn data into profit. And part of that was that, you know, in the online space, in the data um, leadership world, everybody was talking about data is the new oil, data is the new gold. So the industry had already started leading towards that there's some sort of value in data that quite hadn't been extracted yet. And so I kind of I took that by the throat and I go, great, we need to have a value story here. And we needed to say something that no one else in the marketplace was saying. So we said, okay, we turn data into profit. Okay. Headline number one, wow, I, I have data. I want to profit from that data. And in fact, my role in the organization is to do something meaningful with this data, right? Great, we turned data into profit. <clears throat> Part two is how do you put context around that for what that actually means? What results can we produce? And every time I consult with a business owner, we're, we're trying to dig down into results because results sell. 
um, results is what people buy from you. So when you're when you're selling a large multi-million dollar contract, they don't really care about how you go about it. They just want the result. And as an executive, I, I actually don't really care how people go about doing things. Sometimes I do, but most times I don't, as long as I get the result. I just want the result. That's what I pay for. And so we need to get business owners used to speaking about results and being able to uh, distill their results into you know simple uh, types of context for people to understand. So I said, how do we take this turning data into profit and wrap some real context about it? So I said, I sat down with a business owner. And I'm going I'm to give him a fake name, uh, and I said, Fred, um, <clears throat> from all these like projects that you've done, what what kind of profit have you generated for your clients? And we started talking about stories, and and one of the stories was they took three thousand processes and 30 different systems into a single click dashboard which is which is powerful right so that's cool that's good that's kind of like maybe part three part four when we start talking about results but i said what what kind of results have you produced what kind of savings have you produced for your clients what kind of revenue have you driven for your clients and he said probably about a hundred million dollars so i said great that's our new proposition. We turned data into profit. We've done it for $100 million in counting. We would like to add you next. Great. Now we have a value proposition. In fact, that business owner was kind of like, mm, it's too simple. I don't, like, he's very technical, right? Very on the creative genius side. Um, he decided to take that value proposition to Gartner, which is the leading authority in, in, in sales and go-to-market in, in that particular sector. And that's where I got nervous because I'm like, here I am as the consultant, you know, just completely revamping value propositions. And Gartner said, that's perfect. Great. We love that. And I said, good. At least I'm doing my job properly. <laughs> um, ne next minute, we took it to an executive within a bank. It was, a, 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 it was Zurich, right? So large global financial institution. So we met with the chief data officer and I was in that call because, you know, I have to make sure that the value proposition resonates. We started to ask, you know, your typical sales questions about the whys and, you know, challenges. And I won't deep dive into sales in this call. But at the end of the call, I said, great, let me let me explain to you for five minutes what we what we actually do. And I went through this five minute pitch deck, which is all about turning data into profit. We've done it for hundred million dollars and counting. Here's how we do it for you. Um, the, these are the results, you know, example number one, example number two, example number three. And we achieve this by doing, you know, all the other stuff that they were talking about, mass data management data lineage, blah, 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 right? And the executive, the, these are the exact words that came out of the executive's mouth. He said, he said, you know what, Oscar? In this industry, I, fe I feel purposely that people are trying to make this complex so that I buy more things. Every conversation I have in the data domain is just wildly technical and really hard to understand. He said, you're the only organization that's come here with really simple to understand language that I can I can back and I can really believe in. That was the exact feedback. So the art of this for business owners watching is if you could distill your language, again, that's how we create civilizations, how we create communities of people that buy from us and that work for us, then we could leverage that language to create awareness and understanding in the consumer's mind so that we fit into their context. And without those things being in place, it's impossible to make a sale because people don't buy from people they don't trust or people don't buy from people that don't trust that they can produce a result. And so when you can distill that language, that's how you really nail into that market 
uh, market message uh, conundrum that many businesses struggle with. But it takes a lifetime of discipline, of reading, of learning, and you know, being a, a, a you know a marketing expert and and toying with various different value propositions. You know, just a quick story. I was hearing Ed Sheeran talk about the first that he the fact that he wanted to write 10,000 songs and he'd write a song a day and they, all those songs were terrible until eventually he's a, he's a world superstar. It's the same thing in marketing. You've got to go through the process of distilling value propositions, listening to people speak about these so that we can simplify them in our own businesses. Oh man, that is so true. And you know, there's, there's so many businesses out there that that forget that element. They add a new product, they bring a new service in, they bring some other element into their business, and they somehow think that because they've had success with the previous product or a previous service, that all of a sudden they're just magically going to work. And we've watched huge companies like Pepsi do it wrong or Coke do it wrong. They bring in a product. They think that just because they are who they are, they're just going to release that thing. And then it flops and they go, what happened? But we're so big. I don't understand. Why didn't that work? (laughs) So I love what, I love how you describe that. And I love that perspective. And it's something that we can all do and we can all spend time on, on a regular basis. I want to jump in a little bit as we, as we start to wrap close to the end. I am not pushing you, but I want to make sure we have enough time to be able to talk about boardroom a bit and and tell us about it and tell us about what that's all about, because that is a really cool thing that you've created. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so, so the boardroom, in essence, is a company that helps business owners build, scale and sell. And sell can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But in our eyes, it can mean either exiting that business for multi-millions or it could mean cutting up your business into chunks and selling that chunk for a very high profit margin so that you can inject capital and accelerate growth. The thing that people need to understand is that the market is moving at a certain rate, always. The, the markets, some markets anyway, you know, are growing to, you know, by 20 to 30%, um, regardless of what they do. And a lot of companies struggle with that, with getting those levels of growth. And so what we need to do is create an ecosystem that can grow faster than the market. It doesn't need to be, you know, 100 times or 200 times. And in some cases, like Liars Beer, for instance, non-alcoholic beer company, they went from, I think the numbers are around 2.7 million to um, two to 200 million in two years through an injection of capital, right? So that's a 10x uh, valuation, sorry, 100x valuation multiply in two years. So imagine, you know, any business owner listening to this go, okay, what's what's the value of my company? You know, it's a million dollars right now. In two years, you could have a million dollar company. Like that is, that's just explosive levels of growth. And so these things, these strategies, these systems, people don't understand. And that's what we implement into people's business. We implement the systems, the structures, and the strategies so that companies can actually scale their business in exponential leaps. Uh, we call it quantum growth so that you're jumping outside of the paradigm of you know 20 to 30% growth or 50% growth. We look at explosive uh, spurts, uh, spurts of growth, which is what we really focus on helping business owners achieve. That's amazing. And what a cool, cool service to be able to provide to so many that need it. And, uh, I, I, you know, what can you share with us now about what it would be like to join in and to be, 
get part of what you're doing. And talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, it would be difficult. You'd probably cry a lot, <laughs> and <laughs> and you'd, you'd you'd probably be annoyed with us about how much work we 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 actually create for the business owner. I love it um, because a, a lot of people come to us with the illusion that we, they flick a light switch and all of a sudden the mid, the millions of dollars are pouring into the bank account. And as John Rankin says, the money the money flows in and the freedom flows out, right? <laughs> a lot of people are like, okay, you know, you, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to work with you guys. And all of a sudden my life's going to become easier from day one. It's like, no, it's actually going to become a lot harder. So I'm probably unselling ourselves here. But the, <laughs> the, the reason I do that is because there have been clients that we've worked with that don't want to do the work. I've even had a client say to me, Hey, I'm paying you advisors. Like, what? Why aren't you doing the work? And it's like, hold on. If you if you want someone to do the work, get an employee. Don't get a a, a group of you know highly sophisticated business investors, venture capitalists. You know, uh, people that have done 17 billion in mergers and acquisitions. Like, we're not going to sit there and work on your hundred thousand dollar project, right? It just <laughs> it, it, it doesn't work, right? So business owners need to be aware that things think you know we have to build new habits that we haven't had before. One of the things we love doing in companies is rolling out governance uh, or, or corporate governance or accountability, right? Whatever we sure. want to call it. But we like to roll out accountability so that we have a pulse check on the business. It's like you go to a doctor, you go to the hospital and they're going to check your temperature. They're going to check your blood pressure. They're going to shine a light in your eyes to see if a pupil dilates. Um, like none of that is comfortable. But that's that's what it takes when you go to the you know when you go to the business doctor you're gonna have to be prepared that they're gonna put you on a plan you might have to do you know you might have to go to the gym five times a week and you might need to cut out carbs and you might need to cut out sugars but it's all the uncomfortable stuff that produces growth and people need to get comfortable with that uncomfortableness because that's where the growth zone is for the business owners so unless they're willing to step into that level of growth and maybe cut out a few of the habits that they've got that they really shouldn't be having if they, you know, if they have these wild dreams and aspirations to grow the business, then don't have these uh, fantasies or illusions or hallucinations about things being really easy in the short term. No, we're going to have to get good at things that we've not done in the, in the past. We're going to have to get used to having really difficult discussions with our employees, maybe conversations that we haven't had that we should have had a long time ago. Um, we're now going to have to start providing reporting to a board um, that holds us to a high standard and will ask questions if forecasts are, met, are missed. This is what it takes to run a sophisticated growing business that grows outside of the market paradigm is that there's a great level of accountability. Tough questions are, are going to be asked. Tough conversations are going to be had. And an entire set of new habits are going to have to be implemented with the business owner in order for them to grow at that level of, of, of market rate. So that's why I'm you know, quite transparent with the pain. Not everybody's willing to go through that journey. Not everybody wants to be an Olympic you know, gold medal winner. It's just, it's, it's a certain psychology um, that needs to be in place with the business owner for them to uh, even want to get to that level. And then it's a whole different set of psychology for them to actually follow through and do the work through injury, through pain, through early mornings, uh, through all that stuff, but that's who we work with, with, with uh, the elite. Well, I love that. that want to be elite. Yeah, that's great. Well, tell us how, uh, we can get in touch with you and how we can find you, uh, give us the, the lowdown on how everybody can connect. Great. So I, I have a, a website, um, and I do have a, a free 
mini course available. It's called the Rapid Scale Mini Course, How to Double Your Income in 90 Days. Um, and that's at my website, www.oscar-chavez.com. That's oscar-chavez.com. Um, or they can find me on uh, Instagram, which is the Oscar Chavez, or on Facebook, I am forward slash Oscar Chavez Entrepreneur. There are three ways people can find me. I love that. I love that. That is great. I appreciate you sharing that with us and that resource. Uh, I'm excited to have everybody go and pick that up. Oscar.chavez.com. Sorry, Oscar-chavez.com. It's on the screen if you're watching the video. If not, it will be in the notes as well. And uh, we are so thankful and excited that you joined us today and shared with us some incredible wisdom from your journey and from your experience. Uh, any last words for our audience before we head out? So one thing that I've been teaching around the world, and we've done surveys on on all the things that I teach, this is, this is the one thing that rev resonates so much, and I'll tell it very quickly, because I think it's important to get the word out there. So... I've developed, so I've read over a hundred books and I was, I was taught to read very quickly by the Guinness world record holder of speed reading and speed learning, Howard Berg, amazing individual. Everyone should check him out. But at, through all the books that I've read and all the knowledge that I've acquired, I've, I've developed this reverse engineering model for, uh, for outcomes in life. So the model is, it's called the Baho method. So it's B-A-H-O and I'll go through it backwards because it's reverse engineering. Now, the whole world talks about high-performance habits. There's so many books on high-performance habits, but we don't talk about the underlying structures underneath habits. So that's what the BAHO is all about. So we, O stands for outcomes. So we can look at whatever outcomes we, we have in life. Like if we have dissatisfaction with the amount of money in our bank account, if we have dissatisfaction with our partners, you know, if we have dissatisfaction in the way that kids treat us, for our kids treat us, or any sort of outcome in life, we can reverse engineer it through the BAHO method. H of the Baho method, so it's B-A-H-O, the H stands for habits. So habits create outcomes. So we've got to take a deeper look into habits through the Baho method. A stands for actions, because actions repetitively turn into habits, which then turn into outcomes. Then we reverse engineer that further and go beliefs. So beliefs turn into actions, which turn into habits, which turn into outcomes. So I'll give you a very simple example that I think everybody can understand. Beliefs. If I'm a Buddhist, I'm going to go to the temple and I'm going to meditate several times a day. If I'm a Christian, I'm going to go to the to, to the uh, to the evangelical Christian church where they're you know uh, preaching about Jesus. If I'm a Catholic, I'm going to go to the Catholic church and that creates my actions, right? So anything in life stems from a certain level of belief that we have that creates our actions, that creates our habits, and that creates our reality or our outcomes in life. So if anyone watching this in business goes, you know what, I have an outcome that I'm not quite happy with, go and do the experience of just meditating for a while on that concept. You might even end up with a few tears like I've done myself. You know, I went to speak in South Africa and I was, I was you know, giving up a lot in order to go do this trip to speak to thousands of entrepreneurs. And I asked myself why. And I, and I ended up in, I don't have time to tell the full story, but I ended up in tears learning new things about myself, learning new beliefs. Like I got so much freedom that I've never had in my life. I realized that a lot of the things that were driving me were my own insecurities. And so that was the formula that I used that before I even knew that that model existed. 
So I would encourage people that if they have an outcome in their life they're dissatisfied with or something that they, they haven't quite figured out is to go through that process and figure out what underlying beliefs we have that are keeping us trapped where we are and changing those belief systems, writing new belief systems down to replace old belief systems and repeating that every single day as an action which turns into a habit, which turns into a new outcome in life. It's another process of alchemy that I, that I like to talk about, which is the Baha method. So I thought I'd leave all your listeners with that. That is amazing. Man, we could keep going on this for hours and maybe we can come back and do it again sometime. You have been incredible and fabulous. I appreciate you so much. And I know all of our listeners do as well. Guys, as we close out this episode and, uh, and prepare to go get to action, go take some of these things and actually put them to work. Don't just sit on your butt. Let me remind you to keep choreographing your business. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Take care. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today. Want more business choreography? Check out our website at bizchoreo.com to find out more. And find out how the choreography for your marketing operations and sales can raise your revenue and create more impact. Remember, every business needs choreography.